Christian witches, wizards, warlocks, and magical beings all over the cosmos. Here we have arrived at the first ever Christian witches podcast, and I've had the inspiration to do a podcast for quite a while for the Christian witches community, and here we are. My name is Reverend Valerie Love, also known as Kaisi, practicing Christian witch and the author of the Christian Witchcraft Starter Series, including How to Be a Christian Witch, Spell Crafting for the Christian Witch, the Christian Witch's Manifesto, and Magical Prayers for the Christian Witch. And it's my honor to bring to you in this very, very, very first episode of the Christian Witch's Podcast, it's my honor to bring to you Craig Hostetler. Now, I've known Craig for a while. I absolutely love and adore him. And he is going to share some pretty startling, hair-raising comments and experiences in this podcast episode. And he is the creator of the Black Sheep Experience podcast himself. So definitely follow the podcast and follow his work. It is incredible. And follow the Black Sheep Experience podcast on Instagram. Many of the things that Craig talks about are really startling because Craig is an ex-pastor and now practicing Christian witch. Yep, an ex-pastor. I mean, let that sink in, right? That's pretty uh, cutting edge and pretty... Uh, startling when we consider it and he spoke of he'll speak of you'll hear him shortly in this episode he speaks of casting a magic circle in church while he was still a pastor and actually doing magic it just came very naturally to him so this is a just a riveting conversation and Christian witches will always bring you conversations on this podcast with Christian witches who had some kind of church experience or Bible experience and now have integrated into their own magical practice. And wow, you cannot get better than this for our first podcast episode ever. And the fact that he was a theologian, went to school, went to theology school, it is so astounding to hear this journey of the soul. It's really not unlike mine and maybe not unlike yours. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of tea. I do want to warn you, a cup of tea or kombucha or coffee or latte or whatever your thing is. I do want to warn you that though we've had this episode uh, digitally mastered and edited by an audio technician, the sound may not always be exactly matched because we were in our clubhouse room and it all happened so spontaneously and so in the flow that we record our podcast, we record our clubhouse rooms where we are, Christian, which is Monday through Friday currently at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. We do a Course in Miracles lesson for the day as well as the tarot card for the day. He joined us in the room and the recording kept going and the things he was talking about were so astounding that 
we never turned the recording off. And at the end of it, we had this full-blown podcast episode over an hour. Astonishing. So if the audio sounds a little unstudio-like, we were not in a studio. We were on Clubhouse. The permission was granted to record. Craig knows completely, of course, (laughs) that the conversation is recorded. And I pray, I intend that this episode speaks to your soul, wherever you are on your Christian witch's journey, wherever you are in integrating Bible, magic, Christ consciousness, all of it. And by all means, it's not only for Christian witches, wizards, warlocks, magical beings. It's for anyone, really, that's on a journey of the soul that appreciates hearing from other people who are also on their journey of the soul. So, without further ado, I give you Craig Hostetler of the Black Sheep Experience. Enjoy. How are you? You want to tell everyone who you are and tradition self? I'm, I'm doing great. I, I uh, Yeah, it's a beautiful morning. How, how are you? Fabulous. I'm fabulous. And now that you're here, it's a cherry on top. I'm fabulous. Yeah, it's a great day. I love what you're talking about because um, I went through the Course of Miracles several years ago. And uh, when I came to the aspect of forgiveness and I began to work through some of the processes of people that I hadn't forgiven, um, and so that was a little bit painful, but the more I relieved them of their responsibility to me, something profound the more I relieve them of their responsibility to me what does that mean well I think that we have all these perceived ideas of the ways that people are responsible to us and maybe in our society and culture uh, those are ideas that we've erected and, and we believe in but the reality is every single human being is a free agent whether it's your mother your father a lover everybody and so when they don't act in accordance with the position that they have, um, the reality is they don't have to. They don't have to. They should, yes, but they don't have to. And so when we continue to blame people, they're not acting um, in a way that would represent their role. What we're really doing is do something that they they really weren't responsible to do in the beginning. And I know that sounds a bit of like a flip-flop because, well, a mother should be a good mother. Yes, she should, but she doesn't have to. So when you get to a place where you realize, right, I had some toxic people in my life, but I'm going to relieve them of the, of the responsibility that I, that I thought that they had. And I'm going to find freedom on my own, and I'm going to find love on my own, and I'm going to find happiness on my own without their assistance, then you, you really are free at that point to become the person that you want to be, regardless of the ways that others may have failed you. Does that make sense? Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, you went right in this morning, huh? You went right in. Straight for the jugular, like, woo! <laughs> well, I mean, we all have those 
salvation that you're looking for, the love that you're looking for, you have to find it in you. You can never find it in another individual. And so, yeah, that's where I think the, the idea of forgiving, not even God, right? I've, I've done that. Like, God, I forgive you for all the ways that you screwed up. And, and maybe they weren't screw-ups from a divine place, but they were from the perceived expectations I had of God. So I've even, I've even forgiven God. Like, you don't have to be who I thought you were. I, I'll, do, I'll deal with all this on my own from my own inner knowing, my own divine connection that's deep within. Wow. You forgave God. What made you do that? Um, because I was really pissed off at him. You know, I, I thought he I thought he really screwed me over and he didn't answer the prayers I, the way I wanted him to. And um, I just saw him make a, what I felt like were a lot of mistakes. And so if I was going to continue in any kind of relationship with him, I had to relieve him of the perceived responsibilities that I believed he had. And so part of that was forgiving him. God, I forgive you for all the ways that you that you suck. I, you know, <laughs> Oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> so all the ways, all the ways that you failed me, I'm letting you off the hook for that right now, for a million different reasons, and and um, some of those could be my my fault, some of those could be God's fault. I don't know, and I know a lot of people might not be comfortable with that, but there's a lot of dynamics to the relationship that I have yet to figure out. So I'm gonna clean the slate. You're you're forgiven, God. And um, let's move forward and try to try to discover the way that this relationship works, um, so I don't continually put you in positions that you're not going to go in. And, and I think we do that with almost every relationship in our life. We put people in positions that they they won't fulfill, they don't want to, or or are or not capable of. And then when they don't, we get angry and upset and feel like, well, I got screwed in my relationship with my mom or my dad or a lover or whatever. Well, the reality is, is we probably put too much responsibility on them. So everybody's free. Nobody owes me anything. Right. Now, I love, I love some people, and some people mean a lot to me, and they, they enrich me uh, very much. And I, I would hate to have my life, I would hate to not have them in my life. Um, but it still would be unfair to place too much responsibility because most people can't live up to those. Yeah, so, so happiness and joy and God even and love, all the, we have to find all that in us first or you'll never find it anywhere else. This is so profound and you totally flipped it because we're always asking, oh God, Please forgive me. But being the spiritual gangster that you are, everybody in this room, right? Spiritual gangsters, you say, God, I forgive you. Like what what in your consciousness caused you to flip it? Because you used to be a pastor. Uh, yeah, I was a pastor, a strong evangelical. And um, I had a lot of ideas about God that probably were incorrect. And um, I was getting pretty angry and upset with God at this point. And um, I could not move forward 
some people again. It depends how theological you are. And don't forget, I mean, I was a theological major, so I, I get theology, but um, I, I don't like theology anymore. I think it's, I think it's uh, horrible. But, uh, and the reason why is because we begin to place ideas and responsibilities on God as if God can be constrained to ideas and responsibilities. Uh, first of all, we're dealing with something wild and untamed and, um, you know, mysterious and, and above our ways, right? So all of that. So, so for me to move forward, I had to let God off the leash and say, look, I, I just forgive you for all the ways that you failed me, whether they were real failures or misperceptions is completely irrelevant for me. And people can say, well, God's perfect. You can't fail. Well, I, that's not, I don't live in that realm. I don't, don't live in that. I have a relationship with God, um, and um, he is forgiven. I have forgiven him. And, you know, so far, no lightning bolts or anything. So <laughs> you mean you didn't get shut down with a pestilence or a hailstorm or anything like that? You're good.
the silence and a snowfall. Uh, I mean, he's, he's all that. You know, he's, I think um, it was, uh, it may have been Thich Nhat Hanh, the, the Buddhist, who said, um, when I'm quiet long enough and I really listen and feel the air as it blows by, I sense the ground of being within mm. the great I am. Mm. Say that again. Yeah. Oh, that is delicious. And then we'll get into the witch part. Of herself or those that he or she loves. 
Now, this is a lot to unpack. This is fabulous. Uh, 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 this is magnificent because this is a definition of which I have never heard. So first, cognizant of the energies and then uh, using the energy and then for the benefit of those for self and, and ones we love. So could you break that down for us? Cognizant of what energy? I was just watching someone, what, what you're speaking of reminds me of a video I was watching of a magician and a community who they do this work with, snowstorms. So they go out in a snowstorm and you can literally see him moving his arms. It's on YouTube. And the snow moves according to his movement. And he's become one with the snowstorm. Is this uh, sort of what you're referring to? I don't know. Is there more? Yeah. 
wants to be recognized. It wants to participate. And it absolutely will. Um, then we can begin to use it, much like what you're talking about. Um, there's an author, he's not a witch by any stretch, but his name is Joe Dispenza. Um, if you have the Gaia channel, he has a really great um, a series on there about this, or his book Supernatural is also pretty good. There's another book called Real Magic by, I think, it's either Dean Radin or Eric Radin, I can't remember. It's a little bit of a boring read, but um, it's also about this. And, you know, this is science now, right? So um, I like the silly woo-woo stuff in witchcraft. I, I, you know, I love all that. Um, but there also is science that backs this. And, and so, in my opinion, a witch is someone who is in the practice of witchcraft, which is the practice of recognizing and manifesting and um, channeling energy for the benefit of, of, uh, that, of that individual. And what kind of benefits would you say that you've seen in your life from magic? Because we know magic works. What kind of benefit have you seen? Yeah, so, um, you know, in full disclosure, I will use protective magic as well. So not everybody's comfortable with that, but I do that as well. So I'll include some of that also. But um, I have seen doors open up in, in the arena of my occupation, my employment, um, my finances. I have seen relationships that needed to um, be terminated terminated in ways that were supernatural. I have seen um, financial gain in ways that were, I would say, supernatural. Um, so I've done spells to remove people from my life, people that were caustic, toxic, and um, but deeply intertwined and going to be very difficult to get out. And um, I've done magical workings in that area and had those people exit my life very quickly um, without a lot of pain and frustration and aggravation. And so I've used magic in the area of finance. I've used it in the area of relationships. Uh, I've had other situations where people were, I don't know if I'd call them dangerous, but they were destructive. And so I've used pretty, um, forceful magic to get them out of my life um, and that's been successful so I've seen magic used over and over and over in some soft and beautiful ways in some maybe a little more abrupt ways or, or powerful ways but I've seen it come to pass I've used it in almost every area of my life I mean at this point I think it was Damien Eccles in High Magic who said we're using magic every single day. We just don't know it. So I've also become very aware of that. And um, so the words that I speak, the way that I view life, the thoughts that I have, I mean, all of those are magic to me as well. And as I continue to enhance my practice, um, I, I don't say self-debasing comments to myself anymore because that's all its own form of magic and so I've noticed being happier in that way 
And also, the more that I pay attention to the synchronicities of life, the more that they seem to present themselves. So we're completely surrounded by magic all the time. Some of it is very um, ritualistic. Uh, others, um, it's uh, cause and effect. Wow. Now, you were a pastor. And you're... you're <laughs> Your story is so fascinating to me, especially in the Christian witchcraft movement, a global movement where we discovered we can do magic and love Christ or have Christ consciousness. How did you do that? Like, how did you go from pastor, evangelical church to Christian witch, or I don't know if you are a Christian witch, to witch who loves Christ? Yeah, so... Um, I was very involved in the church um, for a long, long time. I never was completely thrilled with some of the things that we said and that we did. A lot of those things were problems for me. I never could buy into the idea of hell. Um, I, I taught it, uh, but I could never buy into it. And um, when I became a Christian, I was told that you know, talking to trees and um, those kinds of things were wrong. And so I tried to shut that down. I could never completely fully do that. Uh, but I didn't know what a witch was. So we had taken a trip somewhere uh, to Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And um, it's a very eclectic area with a lot of witchcraft. And we had, when we got there, recognized immediately that I just felt so in tune with it. And the more that we were there and the more that we discovered about the town, it was pretty obvious to me that what I was in tune with was the energy vibrating from that area that was being recognized by the witchcraft present in that area. So I, I bought a book on Wicca, and as I... I didn't know what Wicca was even, and as I began to read it, um, so much of it just resonated with me. I mean, it was like reading my own soul. Um, so I knew I was still a Christian. I knew I was still in love with Jesus, but I also knew that there was a lot here that resonated with me, and I could no longer ignore it. Um, so I started doing things that became natural to me. And uh, you and I, Valerie, have talked about this, but, you know, um, early in the morning when, when nobody was present, I mean, I would set up a circle of candles on the altar and um, cast a circle. I didn't know what that's what it was called, but I'd cast a circle. I'd get in the middle of it and uh, meditate for the church and for the people in it. And uh, you were and, doing and, this in the church? In the church. It's so fascinating. When you told me that, my, my mouth dropped open like you had a magic circle going in the church at the altar. I did, and uh, it was just, uh, it was it was so natural for me to do that. It felt so, I felt so at home doing that. Um, and, you know, even though I thought, oh, somebody walks in here, they're going to wonder what in the hell is this guy doing, you know? <laughs> Uh, Pastor, you lost your marbles, Pastor. You lost your marbles. <laughs> this is a problem. Uh, but I did it, and I did it a lot, and I 
know, and it was a very good way of channeling energy and uh, also, I think, healing for my own self. You know, I think something that's important to know for whatever reason, I still kind of let to say this, you know, as if you deny what is deep within you, you are slowly destroying yourself. And so I was doing that. And I, I, I think that as I begin to let the true me out, even though it was on the altar of, a, of an evangelical church, um, I, was, I began to experience a lot of self-healing in that as well. What do you think was the pivotal moment that caused you to say, I'm going to live my life no longer as a Christian, according to the theology of Christianity, still loving Christ, and I'm going to honor the witch, and I'm going to do magic, consciously. Well, so I was doing, I was, uh, so the church and I eventually, well, not the church itself, uh, they, they really liked me there, but um, the organization that I was a part of, which was the Assemblies of God, uh, we started to have a lot of conflict over the finances. Um, they just kept wanting more and more and more. And it was frustrating to me because when I had taken the church, the church didn't have any money, and those sweet people there um, were giving everything they they had to, to benefit the church. And um, so we just had some conflict, the, the, the organization and I. Uh, but it was a losing battle for me because they owned everything. So I resigned. And um, there were some other things going along as well because I wasn't teaching on hell anymore. And some of those were, were problems. But anyway, I resigned. And um, I was upset enough that I dropped my credentials with the Assemblies of God. So I, I was no longer responsible to anybody, and I thought, you know, so where am I going to go from here? And I just sort of went on a free-flow journey that led me deeper and deeper and deeper into witchcraft. So then I had to kind of make a decision about, well, who am I? How do I bring these together? And I started doing a podcast on some of this, and um, you and I crossed paths, and uh, I just thought, you know, um, I mean, Valerie's making this work, you know, and, and so maybe I can make this work as well. And it was a bit of a challenge. Um, but you had mentioned in one of our conversations, you know, that these are invitations. And they're just invitations. You don't have to accept every invitation. And so I started looking at them as invitations, and some of them I would accept, and some of them I I wouldn't. And so it began to be a slow process of, okay, I still love the Jesus figure and, and believe in him. These things I don't. And so I was okay with letting some of those go, and it just slowly became this balancing act uh, to where I am today. And where I am today is, um, you know, some people would not be comfortable with it. Some people would not be comfortable with it. But, you know, I'm a very diligent individual. I, I'm a deep studier. I don't, I don't jump without looking. Um, so where I'm at today is a pretty 
educated stand between Christ and witchcraft. Wow. Yes. Do you have a name for it or is simply your existence uh, in, in Christ and witchcraft? I think it's just where I am. Yeah, it's just my existence, you know. And, and I would really encourage everybody to have your own path. So I'm the kind of guy that I want to know the rules before I break them. Um, so I studied natural witchcraft. I studied chaos magic um, pretty intensely on both of those. And um, I like both of those. But I, I really think I'm creating my own um, way based on those ideas. But I, I, I don't know that I want to be, uh, I don't know that I want to follow anybody's rules. candle cupboard and oh I don't have the right colored candle can't do the spell no we're gonna make it work huh we're gonna make it work because we are we are the magic we are the most important tool we have in our in our um, toolbox and so you know that candle I mean not not to be well I'm gonna be a little crass to make but my point I don't literally believe this but like some dope somewhere was told to put purple in today, right? And that's why the candle's purple. Now, I'm, I'm totally okay with it, but I, I just don't want to make a bigger deal out of a color, maybe, than what some do. Because the connection to the energy surrounding me, the connection to what I want, the connection to the deep magic that resides within me um, is within me. So I believe I am the magic. I am the energy. I am the catalyst. I am the spell. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, I'm all of that. So the spell enhances. I do all that. I, I call in the angels. I cast the circle. I love salt. I do a ton of work with salt. Sea salt, right? Um, I have the bells. I have, I have all the bullshit. Right? I have all that. And I love it. I love it. Oh, we love that stuff, don't we? We love it. Yeah. Harry Harry Potter. <laughs>
that matters. I think that that's important because a lot of us feel really insignificant. And if you're new to magic and you get online and you start to just drown in all the ideas that everybody has, if you do that, you're never going to be a good witch. A good witch jumps in and gets it done, in my opinion. This sounds so badass and so spiritual gangster. Have you found many people are too afraid to let themselves do magic, especially coming out of the Christian paradigm? You were evangelical, I was fundamentalist. How, what would you say to people who are just too afraid to even entertain the idea of witch and magic? I mean, you're talking very loaded words here. Yeah. Well, they are loaded. Um, I understand the fear because I had it for a long, long time. Um, and that was a really, really hard road to get through. So without diving in too deep, I will say, first of all, a lot of the fear is really ungrounded. Much of what we've learned in Christianity about witchcraft, even the use of it, uh, the word alone, is probably loaded with a lot of hate and anger from uh, King James, for instance, and, and others. So if you did a real deep study on the word witch, it's probably not even a great idea that it's in the Bible. Uh, the the uh, know the the English Bible it's probably not the right word so keep that in your back pocket also if you look at Christianity um, they always did witchcraft they always did divination that was always a part of Jewish society so you are already denying uh, a part of the practice that was inherent and they, they all did it they all did it so you're not doing anything different than what they did. Secondly, a life lived out of fear is not living. Um, and if you're afraid of something, the question is, why are you afraid of it? Are you afraid of it because of a personal experience or because some pastor somewhere said something and uh, you, you grabbed onto that? You know, there's a lot of great pastors in the world. Uh, there's a lot of horrible ones. And my guess would be the horrible ones far outweigh the good ones. Um, as jaded as that may sound, I've known a lot of them. The, the good ones um, are, are much smaller than number than the bad ones. I mean, most of them don't know. They don't have any education and they're just regurgitating the vomit that somebody gave to them. So you have to discover on your own. What do you feel? Do you want to be a witch? Is that something that's deep within you? Do you want to practice magic? Is it deep within you? Then you owe it to yourself and to the God that created you to explore that and to discover that and to see for yourself if it's good or bad. I'll never listen to anybody. I take everybody's advice. You should do this. I have trusted people that will take their advice, right? But still, ultimately, I, I've got to discover that for myself. And if, if that's what well, you are, that kind of person, if you'll allow yourself to be. So get, get rid of the fear. And, and Valerie, you and I talked about fear a lot in the beginning because I was afraid. I'm sure you remember. I was afraid, right? I remember. Well, I was deeply afraid, too, <laughs> at the beginning of this path. Yeah, I was terrified, actually. Yeah. 
But, you know, the more I discovered, the more I dove in. I mean, I know, like, Luciferians. And um, some of them are wonderful, wonderful people. Very loving people. And even our perception of them is a little skewed. So, um, I think you really have to throw away all the ingrained fear that others gave you and do some self-discovery. This is your life. You have to live this. Don't let other people live it for you. And that is what happens over and over and over and over. You can't do that. You can't do that. That's wrong. That's wrong. Well, what's wrong with it? Why, why is it wrong? Well, the Bible says. The only thing I can say about that is, well, does it? Does it say that? Because the deeper dive on a lot of things that you've been told the Bible says, you're going to find out that that's not what it says. Sorry, but it's not. So, how, how much of a heretic can I be? Come 150% heretic like me, a heretic and a rebel, and yeah, all of it, an irreverent, okay. all of it. Okay, so I love the Bible, okay? I absolutely love the Bible. I spent almost all of my life studying the Bible. I went to college for the Bible. Um, huge fan. Uh, however, the Bible has a lot of problems as a piece of literature. It has a lot of problems. And um, we have, through the years, done the best that we can to trump it up as something that, first of all, is never intended to be, and quite frankly, that it is not. So uh, I'm not saying don't live your life by the Bible. I'm not saying that. But uh, it's a book that you need to be careful with because there's a lot of problems there. There's a lot of political motivation. There's a lot of books that should have been in and were left out. There's a lot of books that were put in that shouldn't be there. And so it's a book that you have to be careful with and if you look at Jesus, Jesus is not the type of guy that wants you to live by the letter. Uh, and, you can, and you can just go through and look. I mean, every time Jesus says, you've heard it said this, but I say this, Jesus is crapping on the Bible right then. And, and that's the reality. That's why they were so mad at him. Because he would say, yeah, it says this, but that's wrong. This is the way you should live. So even Jesus has a level of disrespect for the written word. And we see that over and over and over again. And it's one of the reasons why they had him crucified. So I don't think that Jesus is the type of Savior or God that wants us to rip apart a book to figure out how to live. I think he wants us to have a genuine experience with the divine that governs how we perceive the words that were written about him. And I really think that's true. I would say that the vast majority of Christians, as I've observed, do not have the genuine experience of the divine because maybe even part of Christianity is blocking it. It was blocking it where I was. There, there was, sure. yeah, what, what would you say about that? Jesus is trying to build throughout the Gospels and even many of the Apostles, although they had a lot of issues, uh, he's trying to he's trying to reframe God as God was known to the Jews of 
relationship that they have with God is going to be personal and not corporate. And he's inviting them to have an experience that is their own. And so when we see Jesus excited is um, when he asks the, the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answer, they say this, they say that. And Peter says, you're the Savior, you're the Son of God. And Jesus gets excited because he says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And so what he's telling Peter is, you've had a direct connection with the divine. That's how you know who I am. So why would that change? He's setting a precedent. If you want to know who I am, if you want to know what I am, you've got to have a direct connection with divinity to know that. It won't come through a letter. It won't come through theology. It won't come through a church or a pastor. It's got to come direct from God to you, to you, to God. And Jesus teaches it over and over and over. And the way that the Christian church gets in the way, to come back to the question, is creating theology, creating Sunday school, creating, you know, this is what we believe. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. All that really has to go away. The Bible's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's very cool. But when we read it as legislation instead of revelation, we, we have destroyed the book entirely. It becomes absolutely worthless. I hope everyone in the room is taking notes and please ping into the room anyone who wonders is the Bible magical? Is Jesus magical? How do I do magic? How do I have crystals and still love Jesus? Am I going to hell if I don't uh, toe the line and just throw away all the magic? So what would you say about there's a draw, there's this irresistible draw to magic? It was for me anyway. Then in our head, right, is all of this theology and we read the Bible as you said like legislation like legislation legislation rather than revelation which is profound how do we, do you have practices or how do we make this change do you, breathing um, ritual work how do we begin to, to, to be and do something different? Well, I think one of the things you got to do is have a meditation practice. Um, I, uh, I think that's invaluable. You have a meditation practice where you can be alone for whatever designated time you choose, 15 to 30 minutes, it's up to you. Um, and I would say, you know, if you want to have some light music on, that's fine. But I would, um, the center of your attention needs to be the silence. And um, in that silence, allow your subconscious, your holy guardian angel, whatever it is that you want to call it, allow it to um, communicate with you. Allow it to speak with you. Discover what you have buried. All the things that you continue to bury deep within you, they're still there. And they are not going to go away. And they are going to continue to present themselves and 
writing, uh, I think it's the book of Thomas, if you bring forth that which is within you, that which is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth that which is within you, that which is within you will destroy you. Um, it's really true because that inside of you is going to continue to say, I was created to come out and I will not relent until I get out. And it will literally make you, I think, miserable. So find a place of silence and discover, discover yourself. The next thing is this. If your God is as big as you think he is, like so big, that he could send you to hell for millions of years, right, unending, then isn't he big enough to keep you from witchcraft if it's that bad? So, well, I never thought of that question. He's got to be. You know, if he's that loving, if he's that big, if he's that powerful, um, then he's not big enough and powerful enough to warning signs bring people into your life that I just don't buy it. You know, there's just, I just, secondly, um, anything that we do out of abject fear needs to be considered. Um, if you walk home from work every day and you're afraid of being attacked, then you need to consider a different route because there's something not right there. If you're afraid, if I look into witchcraft, I'm going to piss God off and he's going to give me cancer or send me to hell. That's a relationship you probably need to examine. That may not be healthy for you. So, I think for me, one of the places I had to, to get to was God loves me, and uh, I have these innate leanings. I'm going to explore them, and I think God's going to go with me. And if I come into something that doesn't settle or sit right, um, I, I'll hear it. I'll hear the voice of God. And so far, I, I haven't had any of those. I started to get into... Um, Enochian magic. I won't say that I'll, that I'll never get into it, but I had, I had a check about it. I had something that didn't feel right about it. I explored it a bit. You know, I didn't throw the book in the fire or do anything silly like that. I explored it a bit and then discovered some reasons why I had the apprehension. And so I'm not doing that right now. Maybe someday, but not right now. But um, otherwise, I'm a free agent. I. I'm not afraid of God anymore. Ooh, I <laughs> yeah, I mean, is that what you want? Do you want to be afraid of God? Is that what you? Absolutely not. Love? Not for me. Not for my life. You can't. You can't. You can't love a tyrant, no matter what. You can't. What? What about what I know many Christians will say? The Bible says, "Fear God." Yeah, but again, we're kind of dealing with a with a pretty poor translation. Um, that word um, really is more uh, about reverence 
Read the Bible by Rob Bell. Uh, for any of you that, that would like a nice, cushy dive into some of the problems with the Bible, that's a really good one. How to Read the Bible by Rob Bell. But what you'll find is that a lot of the translations were um, worded in such a way to produce con crowd control. And so fear is a, nothing controls a crowd better than fear. And so some of those words are were chosen. They're not necessarily a terrible translation, but they're certainly not the best translation. I, I, I know it's always hard to help people um, on some of this when, whenever they are like the Bible is inerrant and uh, you don't say anything bad about my Bible. I, I wish that we could have that conversation without that, but it's really probably not accurate. So what I hear you saying is that the Bible is a, an incredibly useful book. And I heard you mention books that were not included in the Bible. So as a witch, how do you use the Bible? Well, so I love the Bible. I, I, I'm a student of it. I have been all my life. I grew up in the Bible Belt, so I uh, was given the Bible as a baby and uh, read it all of my life. Uh, then I went to college for it. I taught it. And um, I was very good at, at, at biblical literature. So, but I had to, at a point where I had to become very honest about what it was. How I use the Bible is this. A lot of people went through a lot of trouble to canonize the books in the Bible, and I respect that. Um, a lot of the writings... Uh, so I, I love the Bible. I read it for what it is. This is a collection of letters that were put together to give us instruction on how the early church functioned and the things that they believed and the ways that they constructed their belief system. A lot of those are very valuable. Um... But you also have to understand, you know, if you have a decent Bible at the beginning, it'll tell you why that uh, book was written, who it was written to, and what some of the problems were. And the reason it's important that you read that is because a lot of the things that you read in the Bible are very culturally driven and may not apply to us today. And that's just the way it is. Uh, if I wrote a letter to Valerie um, about my life today, um, some of it might be really good uh, 20 years from now. Some of it might not make sense. And so you have to read the Bible that way, unfortunately. It, it, you know, these were humans who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but they were still dealing with humanity within the time period that they lived. So it's a very inspiring book. And we can discover what Paul and Peter and Jesus felt about life and God through that book. But ultimately, we are expected to develop our own relationship with God. And that's what they were doing, too. You know, when Paul said things, a lot of people thought, he's crazy. He's wrong. That he's wrong about that. They had huge division. Why? They were they were creating, they were constructing their own belief system about Jesus and who he was and how to relate to him. But nothing has changed. We 
We still have to do that today. Do you view Jesus as a witch or a magical being? I view Jesus as the pinnacle of divine energy present in the pinnacle of physical energy. And so Jesus would have been Lord, Master, King, Savior, Witch, Shaman, Magician, all of that. So when he walked on water, was that an act of divinity or an ultimate ultimate act of, of, say, shamanism? Um, We don't know because he was fully realized. He knew exactly who he was and came to show us what we're capable of. So I think that when it comes to an individual like Jesus, we have to be careful with the labels because he probably was all of them or possessed the capability to be all of them. Um, Which is why we, we hear, you know, the Apostle Paul say things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, the Christ is Jesus, but it's also a consciousness and an energy that is present in humanity. Right? Paul was a very mystical individual as well. So, he realizes the God energy, and he's surrounded by it, and through it, he realizes that there are endless possibilities available. Wow. I have just never heard of Jesus referred to as the pinnacle of divinity and the pinnacle of form in one being. Yeah, he's the absolute pinnacle of of all of the energy of, of the divine and of the energy of humanity. And so when you look at Jesus and you look at the things that he does, he is able to curse the fig tree um, and he is able to walk on water and he's able to command angels and he's able to, you know, the list goes to water into wine. And so all of those actions can be attributed to the power he possesses as God and the power that he possesses as a human. So he speaks to the wind and the rain as what? A human. What is it that quells or calms that storm? Is it the divine or is it magic? We really don't know because he possessed the qualities of both. And the Bible never, never, ever discredits the power of magic. And don't forget, they, they, the Jews and the Christians have used divination as a means of discovery throughout the entire the time of their existence. So the Bible loves magic, but Jesus loves magic, um, uses it. So I just think there's a whole world out there that we... And, you know, it gets kind of convoluted, and I don't want to get into the whole historical thing, but, you know, we had a guy named King James was a horrible human being and he hated witches he was deathly afraid of them you can wikipedia this and find it if, if you know to validate it and so the hatred for magic and witchcraft really started with him prior to that sure he had good witches bad witches all that kind of thing but they were very much part of the culture and society and beloved 
I think it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting dynamic, you know, with the, with magic, witchcraft, and Christianity. The the divide uh, was constructed by people who were afraid, not by people who lived in the realm of possibility. How rampant and widespread was magic in the ancient world? It was incredibly widespread. It was incredibly rampant. Now, you know, most of those would have been called wise women um, who used herbs, used um, different concoctions to bring healing, um, energy work. You know, they did a lot of energy work. They did a lot of runes you know, reading of the runes and wise women would do that. Although the, the disciples practiced that as well. But so we see that present. It was really, really rampant. In fact, um, we have one case in the Bible where there's all these magical books and um, they gather them all together and they burn them. Um, the magic present in that society was very demonic. Uh demonically influenced but uh so they got rid of the the demonic influence however at least we know that um the, that culture was full of magic and you find that over and over and over um every i mean the the jew uh jewish people had their own form of, of witchcraft and magic uh, every culture every culture from the egyptians to the Essenes, to the Romans. I mean, every culture has practiced magic. It's always been, and it's always going to be. Um, and, and, you know, you think about the disciples. They were with Jesus for three and a half years, and uh, they cast lots to see who the next disciple should be after uh, Judas had died. So they're still using magic. Is that divination? Divination. Divination. We're going to cast these lots and believe that the divine um, is orchestrating whatever comes out. No different than runes or, or pendulum or anything else. Or tarot? Or tarot. Absolutely. Yeah, I love tarot. Yeah, we do a card here every morning. We love it. We love it. Now, shifting gears a little bit, what would you say was the relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene? Well, you know, anything with old literature becomes hard because we don't know the authenticity of all of it. But there seems to be a very... that again? Um, My phone rang for a second. I didn't hear the whole thing you said. Yeah, so other other texts would, would um, give us the idea that there may have been even a romantic relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Um, and, you know, honestly, I mean, some people are offended by that. I, I, I don't have a problem with that, if that's something that, that occurred, you know. Um, I don't know why anybody would, but I think that Jesus has a strong relationship with her, and I think that there's a couple of reasons. One, uh, Jesus loves women, and throughout the Bible, he's constantly, he's constantly defending and elevating the divine. He 
does the feminine divine. He does it over and over and over and over and over and over. Um, you know, with Mary and Martha, whenever he thinks, you know, or she thinks, uh, uh, you know, she shouldn't be down there listening to your teachings. She should be here in the kitchen. And Jesus says, no, she's right where she should be. I mean, what he's really doing there is he's creating a female disciple. And that had never been done before. So uh, he's constantly elevating the feminine. And so with Mary Magdalene, I think that she becomes an icon of what it is that Jesus wants going forward. A powerful, divinely connected woman who goes down in history as having powers and abilities. So I think Mary Magdalene is probably a witch, maybe the first Christian witch if we want to, um, and When you say powers and abilities, could you expound on that a little bit more, Mary Magdalene's powers and abilities? Yeah, so I think it's a little bit of guesswork, but um, it becomes pretty clear that Mary is a very powerful woman, and Jesus has a great deal of affection for her um, and admiration as well. Other writings talk about the fact that Mary has the ability to perform miracles. Um, she can manipulate weather. She can do healings. Um, and some uh, texts even talk about her ability to uh, foretell the future. So Mary seems to have all the attributes of a witch with her ability to manipulate the physical and uh, also the, the attributes of a... Um, someone who is endued with the divine because she can do a lot of divine healing, you know, immediate divine healing. So she's a real interesting woman in that she possesses a lot of the qualities of Jesus the Christ, uh, but in female form. And so she becomes, I think, a really important character, especially from an agnostic or uh, neo-pagan, neo-Christian witch. Um, she becomes important because she possesses abilities post-crucified, uh, risen Christ um, that I think a witch would find comforting and attractive. And maybe even find a correspondence or a similitude, being similar to... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah, I think we can find ourselves in her <clears throat> quite a lot. Um, on a lot of different levels, but it becomes pretty clear in some of the other writings about Mary that uh, I, I can't say that any of them called her a witch, but she was certainly a wise woman within her, her time period. So wise woman, right, that's just another word for witch, but that was the most, that was a common phrase used in that time period. Yeah, sort of like cunning folk or... Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sort of uh, this notion that they have access to wisdom 
knowledge, power, and abilities that other people don't, whereas people can gain access to them. It's that maybe they were born with that ability or maybe they developed it and they are in touch with all of it. Yeah, so there was a lot of witchcraft throughout the Old and New Testament. Um, that wasn't a word, which wasn't really a word that they used. So sometimes, um, that's why I said, anytime you read the word witch in the Bible, uh, that's a tough one. I don't know that it's, um, I don't know that, that that's appropriate to use that word. But so you still had women that, or, or even men, that were magicians or, or wise women or cunning folk. Uh, it's all the same thing, you know, just a different word. But they certainly weren't frowned upon. I mean, they were welcome in their community. So what do you make of these three magi that attended the birth of Christ? Were they magicians? Were they sorcerers? Were they astrologers? Or all of the above? Yeah. So it appears basically what we know from them is they were magicians. They were um, astrologers. You know, that's what they did. That's how they determined what was happening in the world. And don't forget, uh, I mean, um, astrology has always been a huge part of the world, including the Jewish world, including the Christian world. Uh, Christianity, uh, uh, Judaism, those have never, ever, ever been separate from astrology. Um, that came through stupidity and, and ignorance and a desire to take power away from people. But you can go back as far as you want. Astrology has always been a part of the story. And I'm not even a big astrology guy, but I, it, it would be, uh, I'd be remiss not to mention that astrology has always been a huge part of humanity religious or not. So these guys are astrologers, they're magicians, they're reading the stars, the stars are telling them about this Messiah, they obviously follow the stars and find him, so so it's all working together, and uh, they bring the appropriate gifts, and yeah, I mean, these guys are magicians, they're, they're, they're sorcerers, you know, there's no indication that, uh, I mean, they're really not even Hebrew people, probably. So it's kind of a cool, their entrance into the story is really, I think, very telling, you know? God is using something that um, so many people today consider taboo, and these are kind of the first people to really uh, make a connection that the Messiah is coming. I think that's pretty interesting. It's very fascinating because they saw his star, so how is it that these magicians and sorcerers and astrologers got accepted and even welcomed and in every nativity story and everybody else got the X? Yeah, well, again, we have um, several rulers throughout uh, Christianity. You know, when Christianity became the Roman um, rule, so everybody's a Christian, and um, everybody's going to accept Jesus, or bad things are going to happen to you, right? Uh, and and those were they were bad. They were horrible. I mean, horrible. And we continued that process for a long, long time. Uh, the Dark Ages and all that, you know. Um, 
during that time period, you had people that were deciding what was right and what was wrong and what they wanted in the text and what they didn't. And so we just lost a lot of stuff. The wise men became kind of clowns on horses that followed uh, the star of Bethlehem to Jesus. And um, not a lot of credibility was given to them other than they were just a part of the story. We now know that, that that's not true. I mean, they had dreams uh, about where to go and where not to go. And, you know, these guys were... These guys were magicians. They were plugged in. They were powerful people. And uh, they were who God wanted to be there. So I think it's very interesting, their portion of the story, if we extrapolate on it and really dive into it, God seems to be really good with magic being a part of the story. And it was a part of the story. Wow, that's a lot to swallow for a person who grew up Christian and hasn't yet really examined the Christian story and and really, really asked some deep questions and really connected with God themselves to intuit the answer. I remember when I was having my change and I'm like my coming, I guess you could call it a come to Jesus moment, literally. And I was having my come to Jesus experience I remember that I was just in this place of inner conflict. And God said clearly to me, the divine spoke clearly to me and said, I created you a witch, my daughter, be that which I created you to be. And I was shocked. And it was so calm. And it changed everything. And you know how you can have a Satori moment and everything changed that God created me a witch? Like, didn't God create magic? Aren't all these energies at our disposal? What are your thoughts? I think that is absolutely right. <laughs> God, Lordy. God morning from Peru, Divine Lady Ninhasag. We're having an incredible, incredible, incredible conversation with Craig Hotz, Hotz, Hostetler. And if I have not properly introduced Craig, Craig is a dear, 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 dear soul to me. And Craig is the creator of the Black Sheep Experience podcast. And how did our how did we cross paths? Because I, I remember you reached out to me, but how did that happen? Hey, Craig, if, if you're speaking, we don't hear you. Craig, are you speaking? We don't hear you. Uh oh, I hear movement. I don't hear Craig's voice. When he chimes back in, I'll let him share with you about his podcast. Craig has a podcast, and everyone, please do follow the podcast. It's called the Black Sheep Experience Podcast. Oh, he may be in the car. I hear some sound. It's called the Black Sheep Experience Podcast. 
And it's such a profound podcast. It was so good. This is how good the podcast is. It was so good. And the conversations that I have with Craig, I've been on his podcast, a guest on his podcast a few times. The conversations were so good that I actually put the Black Sheep Experience podcast and links to all our episodes on the Christian Witches website. It, it's that good. And I've been on a lot of things. <laughs> I've been on a lot of things. Um, they're not all on the Christian Witches website. It was so good. And it was coming from a person that was so credible and so wise and had been a pastor. And I feel like, Craig, I feel like your presence calms a lot of people because you have this very calm, certain presence that you have Ashe in your voice, this divine power in your voice. I feel that your presence calms so many people so that they can come out of the fear and explore. Well, that's very kind of you. It's true. Thank you. It's definitely true. How did our how did our paths cross? How did that happen? I know you reached out to me, but I don't know how it happened. <laughs> Magic. Yes. Magic. Absolutely. Yes. So, well, you know, I um, so I saw you on YouTube with the whole Christian Wish thing, right? And uh, but I saw that long before I had made contact with you. And um, as I started diving deeper into it. I thought, I wonder what the chance is that she would come on my podcast. And so, um, yeah, just one night out of a, a bold and daring move, I, I contacted you. And you were so pleasant. You were so sweet. And you're like, oh, yeah, come on. And, and then, uh, God, I just fell in love with you immediately. And so... Uh, we same here. Same that. here. <laughs> <laughs> I just—it was—I—I uh, I just, uh, yeah, I, I, I fell in love with you immediately. I mean, it just felt like my best friend. You know, I just really did. I did not connect it so quickly, and then you were so sweet, God. You know, put put the thing up on you put us up on your website. I felt so like. I always, uh, I don't know what the, the deal is, but when people are that nice to me, it's like, I don't get it. Like, why, why is she being so nice to me? <laughs> well, you deserve it. You earned it because I'm a pretty uh, uh, discriminating person and I don't, I don't suffer fools and I can recognize what's real and what's not. Well, you're too, you're too, you're too sweet, but. And what's real, you know, really it's about our people too. It needs to be shared. You know, because it goes beyond us. It needs to be shared because so many people are in meltdown. I hear from them. They're in meltdown. And they're in so, inner conflict. Yeah, that's really sad. Um, and I think one of the reasons that it's so sad is because it's it's so unnecessary. And we've created, yeah, I say we, but... Uh, within Christianity, we've created a God of, of just absolute fear and, and anger. Um, and, and so how can you explore? How can you discover? How can you launch out when you've got this angry God that's going to destroy you if you make a single misstep? And that was that was one of the things that, you know, in my conversation, early conversations with you, you know, I was just so afraid <clears throat> 
and we spoke a lot and talked a lot about freedom and I just kind of realized what kind of a God have I built here because uh, he's not very godlike, and so I, I think that um, yeah, I just we we connected, and it was just an immediate connect for me, and I guess it was for you too. Although I still feel undeserving. Absolutely. That, but. Don't don't. <laughs> the universe doesn't allow anything that's not supposed to be. <laughs> well, that's true. I suppose. Yeah, that's true. But we've had so much fun together. Oh, my God. The discussions. And Craig, you're a person that I really have not had these discussions, these kinds of discussions with anyone else. And the reason I say that is because in order to have these discussions, I feel that a person must be deeply rooted in the Bible and understand what the Bible is and what it's not. And have had to also deeply connect with source within to have their own experience of source and then to be able to speak from the space of, okay, I was indoctrinated, I was in the church, here's what it meant, here's what it is. I understand the Bible, I read the Bible, I studied the Bible. I mean, you went to college for the Bible. And and I'm a witch, and I'm okay with being a witch, and I forgive you, God, because you were just, you suck, God, and I forgive you. You know, like, wow, like, that's almost too much to put on one plate and eat. It is, you know, I, 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 um, I mean, all that process, and I suppose this is just the way life works, but, you know, that's a long, long process of going through different pain and different anguish and, um, you know, those points of honesty. I mean, how many, how many aha moments, how many dark nights of the soul, you know? I've, I've had a lot of them where you say, okay, so I love the Bible, but from a literature standpoint, this book has a lot of problems. And being okay with that. And, you know, I don't throw it out, but I do recognize it for what it is. And a lot of people can't do that because it's the inspired word of God. And what you're saying is it's not. Some of it it probably is. Some of it isn't. Some of it is just crap literature. You know, it's just junk. You just have, you know, if you want to be a student of the Bible... This is what I tell people. If you want to be a student of the Bible, then be a student of the Bible. Not just what it says, but a complete student. Find out why is it the way it is. Why did they leave this stuff out? Why did they change these verses? I mean, get a get a get an NIV Bible, uh, a Thompson Chain NIV Bible, and go through and see how many verses they tell you this was not in the original manuscript. We're, we're putting it in here, but it doesn't belong. Which I'm Bible now. is that? That is the New International Version. Uh, Thompson Chain makes the best one, but uh, they will tell you. In, in many cases, they will exclude it from, the, from where you read, and they'll put it at the bottom of the page. <laughs> this is why verse 17 isn't in here. It was not in the original manuscript. Somebody added this. 
So it's a book that has a lot of problems. So that's the new international version. Uh, the Thompson Chain does it pretty well. They will literally omit the verse entirely. And you read it at the bottom of the page. And they'll tell you, we took this out because it's not in the original manuscript. It does not belong. So it's a book that has a lot of problems. That doesn't mean it's junk. You know, like the old saying, well, it's either, it's either all true or none of it's true. Well, that's ridiculous. That's not, that isn't the case with anything in the world. So some of it's true. Some of it is not true. I'm sorry. That's from a purely science viewpoint. That is absolutely the way it is. Wow, that's a dose of medicine that is a, a cure. It's a healing dose of medicine that well, maybe tastes a little bitter, <laughs> like castor oil. <laughs> to some people, it's very upsetting because we've been told. It's absolute, inerrant truth. I get it, but from a purely scientific, historical viewpoint, that is an incorrect statement. It's not true. That book has been screwed around with for a long, long time. Some of it's very good, so don't throw it out. But some of it has a lot of problems. And if you want to be a student of it, it's your job to go find out what's right and what's wrong with it. I like what you're saying that if you're going to be a student of the Bible, because up until this conversation, I always considered student of the Bible is that you study the Bible. And what I hear you saying is we've got to study all of the surrounding aspects of the Bible. How did the Bible come to be? What was put in the mechanics of the Bible, not just the words? Exactly. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I mean, the words are maybe three quarters of the story but there's a lot more too maybe half the story there's a lot more going on there and, and you, if you're going to be a true student of the Bible I don't care if you are if you are it doesn't matter to me but if you're going to say I live and die by the word of God well then you need to prove that and you need to know a lot more than just what it says because even just reading what it says is not enough because so many of the things that it says it's saying because of direct events that were transpiring in the town it's being written to. Some of them may not even matter to, to the rest of the world. So if you're going to be a student of the Bible, then, then do that. Do that. What changed? Why did it change? Why did they get rid of that word? Why did, you know, get, get in there, figure it out. Who screwed around with it? And King James was horrible. And he probably had the most popular Bible in the world. But I, he messed with it to suit his needs. And he got Shakespeare to uh, to do some things for him. And they say encoded in the Psalms is uh, Shakespeare's name. Yeah. I mean, he just, uh, you know, wanted a translation that would uh, be right according to what he thought was right. You know, a lot of people do that. But that comes with a whole set of problems. And he hated witches, hated them. He was scared to death of them. You can, you can, you can Wikipedia it. I mean, he got in a, 
he got in a storm in a boat, and when he got back home, they slaughtered how many witches because they thought, you know. Countless. Witches, yeah, countless. Yeah, and the witches admitted to casting a spell, but they admitted it under extreme duress. Yeah, if you want, yeah. Or torture, you know right? I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the horrible human being, and you just, you know, I, I, it's hard to say it, but the Bible is just got a lot of problems. It just has a lot of problems. It doesn't mean it's junk. It just has a lot of problems with it. I like this conversation. It's sobering. And it gets us to really look at what do you believe and why do you believe it? And most of us believe things because someone else told us to believe it. Most of us believe things because somebody else superimposed those ideas over our weak, either knowing or when we were in a time of pain, a time of searching, and they superimposed their ideas on us and we've never challenged them. Oh, but I think we, yeah, you have to. What do you believe? Well, what I really believe, I really believe if I concentrate hard enough and long enough, the universe will comply to my will lovingly. I just believe it. I don't know why. So what do you deeply believe? You need to dive in and figure it out. What do I think about the Bible? Dive in and figure it out. Those were painful times for me. I thought the Bible, I mean, I have sent you, I'm going to send you some of my old preaching uh, audio. Oh, please do. I got to hear it. (laughs) I'm going to send you some. I, well, first of all, I love T.D. Jakes, right? You know know who T.D. Jakes is? Me too. Yeah, yeah. So early in my ministry, I'm like, okay, I'm going to preach like him, right? Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, you'll hear that. But, I mean, I, uh, I, I, when I was preaching, it was with strong conviction, man. And, and I believed it, you know, but there just came point in times where I had to question, like, wait a second, does this work even? And, and just a lot of it didn't work, you know. Painful. So, I guess I just say that, you know, if you're listening right now and you're like, dude, you're, you're saying the Bible can't be trusted you know how dare you i just want to say i i i love you i hear you and i'm sorry that those are realities but i you know this isn't coming from a crass atheist who doesn't care because i still love that book too Um, i just think you're doing yourself a disservice not to really jump in and find out what it is that you're living by is that fair Absolutely. It's the only way to live life. The spiritual path is one of inquiry and discovery and epiphanies and ahas and moments with God and, and sometimes struggle and, and endless questioning. And I mean, this surge is an inner journey of discovery that everyone must make for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. One more question. Is it okay if we open some uh, to some questions from the audience? Would you would sure. you be open to answering some questions? Oh, beautiful. Absolutely. So my, I have one more question for you. What do you make of the Witch of Endor? What are the most famous witches in the Bible? Well, yeah, she's interesting. Um, 
she's asked to do something by a spiritual leader and um, she does that successfully. Um, she finds out that she's kind of been duped a little bit, so that's a little bit of a problem. But what's interesting to her is, uh, to me, is there's no hesitation um, to approach her and ask for her help, right? There's no, ooh, this is scary. I shouldn't be going to, to her. Um, she's very accessible. And um, she's very available uh, from, you know, by Saul. He knows exactly where to find her. Uh, she summons the spirit, which doesn't seem to be, like, really upset that he's been summoned. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't work out well. But so, yeah, she seems to be an accepted part of Saul's uh, society. I was wondering how they knew exactly where she lived. There were a lot of questions that I had. They knew exactly where she lived. They went and knocked on her door. She could do exactly what they asked her to do. Like, this is all like going to the, to the supermarket and getting some celery. That you know where the witch is. Like, um, every civilization, as you mentioned, had magic. They knew where the magical people were. And when they had problems that they couldn't solve any other way, they went and found some kind of magical person, a witch, a shaman, a wizard, a, a, a necromancer, which she was also a necromancer, apparently, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that she was. And, you know, don't forget, now, they, they wanted to know um, how this battle with the Philistines, uh, how that was going to go. And they had, um, they had consulted God through, like, lots and through prophets. And so... They had done some divination and things like that, and they weren't getting their answer. So they then they went to the Witch of Endor. Now, she um, successfully summoned the spirit of Samuel. So, um, you know, it really gives a lot of, I think, credibility to the thought that, first of all, magic is real, and it does work. And it was commonly used in that culture. This was not something that was frowned upon. And as you said, I mean, they knew right where to find her. Pretty interesting. It was very fascinating because, you know, I studied this story again. It's a famous story that we've all heard. It could never be answered successfully for me when I was in Christianity. Why this story stood out or why I resonated with the story so much. And when I recently studied the story again for a book, I, I wrote I wrote a little tiny book called 13 Signs You're a Witch, because I just got a little fed up with all these powerful, badass witches around me. And none of them seemed to know they were witches or many of them, not not all of them. Many were extremely reluctant to use one of the most powerful words in the lexicon of humans, which is witch or wizard or warlock or magical being or magic. Very, very, very reluctant to even use the word. As a matter of fact, a lot of people tried to convince me not to use the word. And I find it to be a beautiful, beautiful word that is not a label. It's simply an energy current. I more see it as an energy current. Well, this witch, when I looked at the story and I wrote about it in 13 Signs You're a Witch, and I examined this witch in the Bible, one of the things that I love about this witch is they knocked on her door late at night. It had to have been maybe midnight or so. 
and she opens the door and lets these people in. So this kind of magical practicing person knows that they could come, they serve the community. They probably got herbs hanging all over the, the hut or whatever, and they serve the community. So they're used to people coming at all different times and she serves them. And then after she serves them and Saul gets this distressing news that he's going to die, his son's going to die, it's going to be, it's not going to turn out how he wanted it to turn out, <laughs> right? <laughs> he goes all to pieces, you know, he falls out, oh my God, you know, he's losing it. And it was very fascinating. I never dug this deeply into the story. It was the witch who consoles him, witch's healer, who consoles him picks him up from the ground like, you know, he had his dudes with him, some men with him, and puts him in, you know, sits him down, calms him and says, listen, let me give you something to eat. You must calm yourself. Because apparently he just went ballistic. And she calmed him, right? And then she made him a meal and fed him and soothed him. This is witches healer all day long. People, and it's all right in the Bible. So for people who read the Bible, the whole thing is right there if you read it. So for people who tell me, they, they can't tell me anything about it because they, they are ignorant of the facts. People who would argue us about Christian witchcraft are simply ignorant of the facts of the case. That's all. And we can yeah. cure ignorance with knowledge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell us about your podcast. Where can people find your podcast? And then we're going to take some questions. Find it on it's the Black Sheep Experience. It's on Spotify. It's on um, Apple Podcast, uh, Audible. It's everywhere. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll find it on there. Why is the name the Black Sheep Experience? Well, because uh, you know the Black Sheep is typically the one that goes his or her own way, and. Um, that's the state I was in. I've always been that kind of guy that, you know, I'm going to do my thing um, no matter what. And so as I started this journey of deconstructing and uh, exploring witchcraft, I just thought, well, this kind of fits. This, this is my black sheep experience. I'm going to do what I want the way I want, and uh, we'll see where we end up. And so, so far, so far, so good, I guess. I'm not dead. It's an amazing podcast. It's an amazing podcast. I was listening to you and Shamanara, and literally my mouth was hanging open as I was listening to some of the things y'all were talking about in that conversation. A oh, I shaman. Talk I haven't I talked to him, him yet. Oh, how is he? Oh, he's great. He's great. Yeah, we were just talking about, he was in the woods, called me from the woods because you know, he's a shaman. And uh, we just started talking about it. interesting some some things that were related to fear, and um, yeah, he's he's a sweetheart. Oh my goodness, I love it! I love it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and Shamanar is a shaman who's also a Christian. Is that accurate? Yes, that's accurate. Amazing, amazing. Okay, Terrence, Terrence, you're on stage. You're up. Do you have questions or God morning? Yes. How are you, Greg? How are you, Greg? Good morning. Very good, thank you. So, thank you for that sermon. That was that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> it was a sermon. I know that right. faster. Um, so, when I chose to um, ultimately 
church, uh, a Baptist church, 